Technically, it's three camps. We have three different encampments. Camp Brookwoods. Brookwoods. Camp Deer Run. Camp Deer Run. River Outpost. Three camps. Moreau and Brookwoods. Deer Run. River Outpost. The Three Camps Podcast. With your hosts, John Cooper and Seth Coates. Three camps. Hello and welcome to our 13th episode of the Three Camps Podcast. I'm John Cooper and with me as always, Seth Coates. Hello. Seth, we have asked Sarah Cohen to come back. She's like a fixture now on the podcast. But before we bring her in, um, I wanted to take a moment with you and just kind of introduce this series that we're hoping to launch starting with this episode. Uh, We're kind of calling it the Where Are They Now series. And as you and I were talking, we just want to make a couple of things clear. We're, We're not trying to like do a fan fest for the people that we uh, do a quick little spotlight on. And we don't want to make it be like, they're awesome, or look at camp, camp is awesome, as much as we may feel that way. Um, it's more like a way just to kind of in, in, informative, kind of let people know, you know, what some people in the past are, are into, but also maybe in some ways how camp is kind of shaped or, or even played a role in what people are doing. Yeah, for sure. Well, maybe it's worth introducing, like, go back to where we started with this idea. Like, how did we get here? Yeah, we keep coming up to this idea, you and I, which is like, what does camp make? And I remember we were talking about that um, in the episode where Mary Beth read the poem, The Silver Canoe. I remember her first reaction, she she remembered as she had first read it, she was like, this is what we do here. You know, the output of camp. What What kind of things do we churn out in our camps? Yeah, it's like not something you can touch. Right. It's not tangible necessarily, but it's real. And we at least you and I have been exploring, like, what is that really? What's that thing? And then how do we find those stories? Yeah. So we should let the listener know we've had this idea for a while now. And Seth and I have been, you know, asking people around and people in camp, you know, who's up to what? What are people into? What are some people that have gone through these walls that are now into some fun things? And we have some fun ones uh, on the docket. We've got some people that are on the front lines fighting for human rights and people that are closing down businesses of a long, long, you know, good tenure. And then others who are starting businesses. And we, we hope and pray that they're successful and just a lot of richness as rich and diverse as the people that come through here. What do you think? Should we start episode 13, baby? Let's get into it. We, Seth and I have been kicking around this idea for a while, uh, which we think is interesting as we think about the broader camp community. Uh, we had this idea of kind of uh, doing a snap look or a spotlight on where people are now, and we're calling it the Where Are They Now a series. We've been kicking around a few names, and so we tip everyone off that you'll be seeing these from time to time throughout the life of this podcast. Uh, but one of them is uh, somebody that we were able to interview. We they, they've, Their names have been on our whiteboard for a year now. And Sarah, you uh, have a unique uh, relationship with this couple uh, as you've been around for a while. And you kind of pitched um, a challenge to somebody. I want to know if you will tell this story for us in your words. I would love to. So I met, I remember Maddie Cron when she was a Wapiti. She was like nine or 10 years old. And I remember Paul sometime in that junior unit. 
um, as a little camper because the Vogies are a big family and I knew his older siblings. Um, so when he was finally a camper, it was like, you know, the fifth Vogie is right. at camp. Um, so known them as campers for years. I took a few summers off from camp, came back to camp and Paul was a unit director um, and he was dating Maddie. She was a counselor um, and Paul was on Sunday, incoming night Sundays, he would go around the dining hall trying to learn all the, he was the junior unit director and he would be learning all of his units names kind of that Sunday night into Monday. And none of the other unit directors or directors did this. Um, so I was sitting at a director table at some point and um, talking to Paul about how great it was that he learned all the campers in his unit's name. And I said, I bet you could learn everybody at camp's name. Um, and he was like, yeah, I probably could, but I don't want to. <laughs> was kind of his response. Um, like he didn't, he didn't think that he couldn't do it. He knows how good he was at learning names. I think Mary Beth was there, Dave, like kind of were challenging him to do it. And I said, like, what would get you to learn everybody at camp's name? Because it would take some time to make it happen. Um, it's a lot of pressure. So he was like, I don't know, something like good to eat. And so I described this pie to him that I make for Thanksgiving. And that like won awards, not really actual awards, but like, at, you know, pie cook-off at church awards. And it's a Thin Mint pie that I make with a box of Girl Scout cookie Thin Mints as the crust. And then it's a chocolate cream pie with Thin Mint or with mint in it and then fresh whipped cream and then chopped up cookies on the top. It's like delectable. Um, so I described this pie to him and he was like, sure. Like, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> I, I think like we were just, you know, John, you were not the cook at this time. So we were ready for some like special made. April Cooper wasn't around, you know, baking sure. for everybody. Yeah. So he then, I think he like set to work when there must have been a new incoming day coming. And so I think it was, we gave him until the following Saturday. Like I probably challenged him on Tuesday. Like he'd memorized the junior unit. I challenged him on like Tuesday or Wednesday and he had through Saturday because it's Saturday. Everybody was going to be back in camp from heights and stuff. And so for the following few days, you watched Paul walking around camp and he would see like a group of five Highland girls walking up the hill and he'd be like, Sophia, Julia, Isabel, um, Danielle. Like he would just like look at a group of kids and say their names. And then he would look at a different group of kids and say their names. Um, and he learned to like do it by association. Like kids are, seem to congregate and go around with the same kids. Um, and so he would be like, you know, at the Gaga pit, just like saying a bunch of kids' names. Um, and so that Saturday night at dinner, whoever was running the meal, Mayor Beth or Dave, got everybody quiet. And this is back, John, when we only had one seating. <laughs> and he got everybody quiet. And Paul walked around the dining hall to every single table and just said everybody's name. And you could have, like, it was so silent in that room. Like, you could have heard a pin drop um, other than Paul's voice. And he just was doing it. And we were all on the edge of our seat. Like, is he going to forget somebody's name? And he would sometimes stumble and, like, have to skip over somebody and do the friends. And then he would go back to the kid. But, yeah, he got, what do we, we have, like, 400 people in the dining hall at a time about that. He did, he did it. LDPs support staff i think he went into the kitchen and like did everybody's names it was incredible oh my goodness so yeah five days or One so the, to learn 400 yeah. names and faces yep that's crazy i think he'd already done most of his junior unit boys but that's like a small percentage in the grand scheme of camp okay so here's but, 
what was the response like when you got the last person right? Like we just uproar, complete uproar. Because you didn't think he was going to do it. Like you thought for sure he'll forget a few people's names and we'll be like, oh, that was a nice try. Like you almost got everybody, but he actually got everybody's names. I'm gonna. I'm, I know yeah. this is, is going to be weird. I'm a little nervous right now. Like I'm thinking about <laughs> what that must have been like, and imagine like getting like the last cabin wrong. It would be so. Oh man, it would be horrible. Wow, that's incredible. Well, I had Highland Wildcat right. Um, the next session, mm-hmm. or yeah, I think it was the next session up at MRO. And in those days, I wasn't the director yet, so I was guiding them on the raft trip. So. 7.45 in the morning, I'm serving them breakfast in the dining hall. And one of the kids um, from one of the cabins tells me, oh, yeah, that guy just uh, said everybody in the dining hall's name at Brookwoods. So this is like, it's a week later, but it's still memorable. Sure. Okay, we wanted to bring in one more person to corroborate this story. We got a hold of the co-unit director with Paul that year, Mark Kuhn. Hi, my name is Mark Kuhn, and I served at Camp Brookwoods um, for four summers four amazing summers, loved them. And the last position I held was an LDP one counselor um, with my main man, Johnny Rosa, shout out. Um, And they were four awesome years. Um, One thing that I will say about those four years that's very important to my identity as a Camp Brookwood staffer is I'm a top bunker. I, I got to be on the top bunk. Um, I just, I like jumping up there. I like getting up, getting down in the morning. It really snaps you to be awake. You, you can't just grog out of bed. It's hard to wake up at camp every single morning, super early for breakfast um, after you got zero sleep. Um, and so you got to have something to jolt you awake. Um, and the top bunk really does that for me. Mark was telling me that Maddie was actually the reason why he and his now wife, Zoe, were introduced to camp. Her dad moved away from Greenwich, Connecticut, moved to Franklin, Tennessee, bought a house in Franklin, Tennessee. And Maddie was in my grade um, at the church we went to. And so I met Maddie when I was in like ninth grade and then met my wife there. And she was also the reason why Zoe went to camp. Mark and his wife now live in Nashville, Tennessee. We're very happy to have him. And just to have one more person give an account of this crazy story. You were there. So we, we we kind of started this podcast talking about Paul going around the room and, and basically naming every person in the building. Yeah, yeah. So I was the senior unit UD and he was the junior unit UD that right. year. Okay. Do you remember that that night? And was it just insane? Obviously, that's a, that's a, a gargantuan feat. Um, and this, th- we'd been leading up to this for a little while. He said that he had this goal, right, where he's going to name every camper's name. And so at lunch, dinner, he around all the tables, learning all their names, learning all their names and trying to get them. All the kids knew that he was doing this and he tried to get it all in one foul swoop, getting every single kid's name. Um, And uh, when he finally did it, everyone, he had everybody's attention. It was amazing. Um, First of all, because I'm his co, like we're working together. And if you had stood me up in front of everybody and and tried to get me to say everybody's names, uh, by contrast, I mean, it was just stark i yeah. probably would have gotten 10 yeah uh, i was i i was struggling to remember paul's name at that point in the <laughs> summer with the amount of sleep that i'd gotten yeah. so uh yeah wildly impressive an audacious goal let me ask you mark i mean this is our time to clear the air and you know be honest um how much of the weight did you have to carry while this yahoo's out there naming names and learning names i mean as a co did you feel left on an outpost 
Uh, yeah, you know, I'm a pack mule, just loaded on. Um, while Paul was neglecting his responsibilities uh, with everybody's names, um, I was busy, you know, uh, meeting with the counselors, setting up what they needed for their Got cabin it. nights and mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, and actually, it's not true. Uh, <laughs> Paul, Paul did it all. Paul did everything. He yeah. learned names. Andy did all the work. It was awesome. But I, I carried some of the burden. Sure. Well, listen, while I have you, uh, I, as I understand, you guys are still pretty close friends, uh, which is always great uh, to hear. Yeah. Love him. Always will. I would say that there's a piece of Paul that uh, goes with me always, everywhere I go. I hear about these epic like ping pong battles. So you guys were, uh, yeah, the competitive side to you both as well as friends. Yeah, no, absolutely. We love to compete. Uh, that summer that me and Paul were UDs together, we focused on getting everything done as fast as possible um, <laughs> so that we could get down to the beach, uh, make sure we had everything done though, um, and play spike ball with Chris Seeley, who was the waterfront director for a time that summer. Great man. Love him dearly. Um, and we played a lot of spike ball on the beach during rest hour. Um, and we also played a lot of ping pong. Uh, had a 30-game a ping pong series. Um, most fun I've ever had. Most fun I've ever had playing ping pong. And Paul gave me that. Amazing. Um, he might have won. He might have won, but I'm better than him. Sure. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad that we can set the record straight yet again. All right, so now we have to bring in these two uh, famous camp individuals, Paul and Maddie Vogie. Join us from San Francisco. Hey, I'm Maddie. Maddie Cron is my maiden name now, now Maddie Vogie. Um, I think I was at camp for 14 years, starting at eight years old. And my last position, I actually just came for the last two weeks when they need a fill-in counselor. And I was helping out in the elk cabin. What year was that? And actually... Paul and no, that, I. That was 2015. Oh, that was 2015. Yeah, the next year you came back. The next year. I hate to be the guy that I tracks. came back yeah. and we led the Acadia bike trip. That's right. Yeah, Got we it. did. That might have been the last Acadia bike trip that happened. Oh, <laughs> well, dang. We blew that then. <laughs> <laughs> it would have, I guarantee, nothing to do with you guys. Maddie, were you a UD at some point? Nope. Okay. No, they didn't. They didn't entrust me with that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my name is Paul Bogie. Uh, I think I was at camp 15 summers from eight to just one more summer than Maddie. Again, not a competition though. Um, <laughs> the last summer before that Acadia bike trip was a unit director. Yeah. Hey, we start off by asking everyone this question. Uh, Paul, we'll start with you top bunk and or bottom bunk and why I was always a top bunk person. Um, and mostly cause I didn't like I'll give you the, the opposite of Matt Vaselkiv's reason of I'm also neat and a bit of a germ freak. And if you're on the bottom bunk, everyone sits on your bed. Yeah. Um, top bunk, it's just your own. So I wanted to keep people off my bed. So I went higher. I would have done a third bunk if I could. To keep people <laughs> <in the bottom. laughs> Maddie, what about you? Okay. Uh, I did start as a top bunker, probably the first three years of camp. And then I, I did, I matured. <laughs> and I think that really is what the bottom bunk is, is that you've matured. Um, I always took the nookie back corner bottom bunk. You have way more wall space for hanging things. And I actually used to like hang a blanket up around it, like a little cave. Now that's a gross area. To if you're listening to this, you're seven or eight. Don't go there. This is strong. I love it. Yeah. Already out of the gate. You guys are coming in hot. I appreciate it. <laughs> Paul and Maddie were very gracious to come on and let us do a spotlight on them. 
Something, honestly, I think they reluctantly said yes to out of the kindness of their hearts. We wanted to have them on to talk about their new company they've launched in the last couple of years. Even early on, there's been some interesting turns in the story of their business. And then we wanted to take a moment and have a conversation about the camp impact on their lives, on their network, on their business, and then just have some memories about camp. Tell us a little bit about your business and what you guys are making. Yeah, uh, Ourobora is a sparkling water company. We make five varieties of craft sparkling water from herbs, fruits, and flowers. Can you tell he's done this before? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, artisanal, uh, the, artisanal sparkling water. Exactly. The quick answer is that uh, we make sugar-free beverages. We sell them in about 2,000 stores coast to coast, mostly natural stores like Whole Foods or Thrive Market or Sprouts, um, but hopefully more so mainstream stores in the upcoming years. Nice. So I have to ask, um, Maddie, I don't know that we've, we've met once, but it was when you guys were living in the, the back of your truck, which is the yeah. last yeah. time I saw you guys. Um, <laughs> yeah. so hopefully you're living in something a little bit bigger right now. Yes, we are. We have a bathroom. Um, but the first time I met Paul was actually up at MRO. You were up, right. uh, on one of the Highland Wildcat trips. I think you were maybe UD that summer, right? right. Is this the right. summer that you, you did the thing you memorized all the, all the kids' names? I think it was that summer. Price Gunn was um, on that trip. I would never have pegged you as a food and beverage guy. Fair enough. So, Although I was going to say the lunch at MRO is like half the reason for the trip. Uh, the lunch on the side of that rafting trip yeah. was well worth it. But yes, fair enough. So I'm curious, like for both of you, how do you get from no, camp and Entrepreneur camp though, right? You'd say entrepreneur? Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, how do you go from... Uh, doing one of the best YouTube videos camps ever had on Thunderball <laughs> to food and beverage? Um, I would say, so I, I grew up with a mom that, I mean, she could any day of the week go be a Michelin star chef if she wanted to. Um, she's just extremely talented. Uh, and I'm not like one of those family members that says positive things about their family because we're family. I actually usually say negative things about my family because we're family. So you can take that compliment as it is. Um, but she, she didn't let us drink soda. So I was very into sparkling water period as a kid, you know, at store at camp, I never got soda. Like that was a sin. So slushy and candy was my, was my go-to. Um, cause slushies are much better. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. Um, if, Hey, if, uh, Bob's listening to this and he wants to put our sparkling water in the store, he's welcome to, you know, we're going to help the future kids who grow up drinking sparkling water. Um, but no, the, the quick answer is yes. I'd always been entrepreneurial both Maddie and myself felt like, why is there not a better version of sparkling water? There's kind of artisanal craft versions of everything else. Uh, and that was middle of 2019. What'd you say? Yeah. Similarly, pretty soda free house growing up, but yeah, I don't think either of us had this big dream of going into food and beverage at all. Um, we were living in Denver we were drinking, it was that like LaCroix boom. It's still booming, but it was when everyone was, I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we were kind of like, yeah, it's good, but it's kind of underwhelming. We were like, we were thinking like, man, there's craft, there, there are craft other products in every area. Like you can get a lavender ice cream, but we've never had like a funky sparkling water. So we had a soda stream and we were just like putting what you, don't do this, but we were putting <laughs> essential oils into it. So like trying like peppermint and frankincense and just seeing how it tasted. And our friends were like, this is really cool. So it was, it was kind of random. That's great. I imagine that's not an uncommon way these things go though. <laughs> 
I think so. Yeah, I think uh, you have to have a few friends that are willing to try some gross stuff for a while. Sure, sure. (laughs) Well, we have to mention Shark Tank. We would be remiss if we didn't at least talk about it. Next up are entrepreneurs who believe they have something unique to offer in a very crowded market. We don't really want to go into it deeply, and the truth is we don't have the rights to play long clips of this. So let me just give you the rundown on Shark Tank and what happened with Paul and Maddie. How's it going, sharks? My name is Maddie. And I'm Paul. We're seeking $150,000 for 5% of our fizzness. If you've never seen the show, the basic premise is that entrepreneurs and business people go in and pitch their idea to a panel of investors. The formula is basically you hear a one-minute pitch, and then these high net worth investors ask a bunch of questions, usually about valuation, about marketing, about sales, and what they plan on doing in the future. And then the investors and the presenters kind of go back and forth, trying to strike a deal and agree to terms. Usually if there's any haggling, it's about how much investment for how much equity. And if you haven't seen the show, a tagline is always an investor saying, their reasons for either wanting to do a deal or not wanting to do a deal. And if they choose not to do a deal, the catchphrase is always, I'm out. Or they'll say, for this reason, I'm out. The show's been on for 13 seasons. You can watch endless amounts of reruns. And I'll just tell you, uh, based on some past life stuff, I really have enjoyed watching this show. Ultimately, it's actually hard to get a deal done on Shark Tank. If you have interest, I encourage you to go find the episode where Paul and Maddie are featured. It's the 12th season of the show, and I think it's episode 11. In that episode, they give their pitch. They get a lot of response from the from the investors about the quality of the packaging and the taste. Basil berry, I like it. Great. The lavender is incredible. Thank you. That's the best seller. Best seller right now. One of the investors, Lori, apparently not very big in the food and beverage space, she's out. So I'm sorry, I'm out. And then Mark Cuban goes through some of the reasons why he's out. It's really a hurdle for you guys. And so for those reasons, I'm out. Kevin O'Leary does a very typical Mr. Wonderful thing where he tries to get royalty for every can sold. I want five cents a can until, wait, wait, wait for it. I get 5%. I want the misery. I want the misery. And then Robert Herjavec. That may be your worst offer in 12 years. (laughs) It really might. Kevin loves the misery. You know, I'm I'm in a different place in life. Yeah. I like happy. You look happy. Robert expresses interest in the company, really likes the flavors and the packaging. And they do. They come to a deal. It's kind of great. Your offer, what would you think about 200,000 for 10%? I would do 200,000 for 15%. Uh, You got a deal! All right, we have to ask these questions. We don't want to spend a lot of time on Shark Tank, but what was your process going in? How was it nerve wracking? I mean, give us your thoughts. Yeah, it was. Um, so the whole thing came about because of a what I thought to be a prank phone call. Um, we, we got a phone call from a guy in LA that claimed to be a shark tank producer, just seemed like a far-fetched story. And they were specifically looking for food and beverage brands. Um, he actually did think it was one of his camp friends. Yes. Yes. I actually, I did. I thought, oh, the pandemic just started. Don Gates has too much time on his hands. He's just (laughs) messing with me. Soon enough, like three months later, 
real guy. We're giving them all these applications, videos, et cetera. Because of the pandemic, it was actually totally quarantined. So we were in Las Vegas for nine days, locked in a hotel room beforehand. Jeez. So if we weren't already going to be nervous going on a national TV show where you can say and do anything and they'll air it, nine days of like icing the kicker beforehand certainly didn't help. Um, <laughs> after the nine days, they knocked on the door and said, all right, are you ready to go talk to Mark Cuban? So yeah, then there was all of these mind games they played beforehand. So the quick answer is yes, we were extremely nervous. I barely remember it because I think my brain just blocked out because of the anxiety. It's funny you'd think reality show, oh, it's probably not as intense as they make it seem with that music, <clears throat> bump, bump, as you're walking down out to go out. It was terrifying. Mm -hmm. We at the at the very after hours and hours of prep and these producers pulling us aside and trying to give us last minute pointers and we are standing by those double doors that swing open and this guy he had a mic on he was probably a, a producer he's just chatting he's like where are you guys from? Uh, so okay. relaxed. I mean so my calm. heart I feel like he could probably see it. Um, my heart is we pounding like, right now for you guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were like. Um, we're from San Francisco. And he's like, okay, nice. I love San Francisco. Like, have you ever been to Golden Gate Park? And you're on. And the doors <laughs> open and you just walk out. And all of a sudden you see these, these five figures you've only seen a million times at that point on reruns. And it was, it was so intense. In the little time that we had left with Paul and Maddie, we wanted to hear some thoughts about camp. Obviously, camp has been a big part of their story and their family's story. So we took this moment to reminisce together about this place that we love. How often does like camp come to mind for you guys? Is it like, is that like a once a week thing, a daily thing? Is How much do mm -hmm. you bleed Brooklyn's blue and mm -hmm. you uh, do run green? If you take in like every interaction Maddie has with Amy or Jesse or Bailey or every interaction I have with... Don, Chris, Rex, or Zach from our LDP groups. If you if you include those, it's every day of the week. If you exclude those, though, and we're just talking about camp, um, it's once a week. Yeah, at least yeah, once, at least once a week. And we're also in a phase of life where we haven't had a year without a camp wedding in many years. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's always you know anticipatory conversations, and then we're there, and then we're reflecting on it. Um, so yeah, for sure, once a week you know, like olfactory senses. What is something that would bring you like right back to camp? Yeah, anytime I smell any, we live in San Francisco, there's often beach bonfires that kind of ruminate over the hills and instantly takes me back to camp. Um, it's it's by far my favorite smell is just, and it's actually specifically because camp has two kinds of fires, obviously, in the wood fires and on the beach fires. And I like on the beach fires more, um, generally fewer mosquitoes. There's like a lot, there's a lot pulling that smell to the top of the list, but for sure, yeah, beach fire. I would say like deep fried leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> um, like lights out every time leftover lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I see a monochromatic spread of food, yeah. mm. leftover lunch, I get brought right back. Seth had also asked Maddie if there was a time where camp had played a meaningful moment in her spiritual walk, in her spiritual timeline. I would say 
and I remember a lot of kids at closing campfire used to say this, like I, camp is where I would reorient every year and then I'd go back home and it would kind of taper. And then just in time, I'd be back at camp. Um, but, you know, I, I, this one's kind of sweet. I can remember this time I was for sure like eight or nine. Uh, sitting in the chapel during worship, which was always just like my favorite time. It's like the most beautiful time of day. Blue skies up ahead, those like really beautiful trees and singing and j jumping around and I'm nine. So that's that. Um, and I just remember praying like a very sweet, I'm young and sort of like, don't really get this prayer of like, God, if you are there, I really, really want a sign. Like I really like a sign that you exist and that uh, you like know me and you hear me right now. I just remember saying that over and over again during this worship service. And at one point looking up and they're just being like a perfectly heart-shaped cloud. Um, and I had a disposable camera and I, <laughs> I was like, you know what? No one ever captures these moments. <laughs> and I took a picture of it and uh, it captured it. Like it, it really, I, I have it somewhere. And obviously now I don't think about my faith that way in this like very transactional way. But I, 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 at that point in my life, I was like, okay, got it. I don't need any more confirmation. The conversation continued on how camp has kind of shaped Paul and Maddie and made them who they are today. I have this like deep log of memories. Like I love sailing because of camp. Um, I love being outdoors because of camp, although all of my hike leaders would laugh at that because <laughs> that, was, that was really not my thing. Um, and just for sure, like lake, lake life, I have a big love for that because of camp. Mm. For sure, for sure, number one is friendships. I, I tell my parents it's the best thing they ever did for us. And I know you said this isn't an ad, but like, that's actually real. Um, yeah. My parents, sent me to camp starting at eight and uh one girl in particular amy eichling now anstat was in every cabin with me for 10 years and best friend in my wedding and now i've got a growing network through ldp and whatnot of like probably eight of my best friends well after being mentioned a few times on the podcast already I decided I had to reach out to this Amy Anstat and see if she wanted to join the conversation. My name is Amy Anstat, and um, I was at camp for 13 years. My last year at camp, I was a counselor um, in 2015, and I prefer the bottom bunk. I just like having my own little like alcove and my own little nook, so... I was always a bottom bunker. I think I tried the top bunk, but I was not a fan. So <laughs> back to the bottom I went. <laughs> Great. When I was talking with Amy, we were chatting about this thing that Maddie has just mentioned, these relationships that get formed and form lasting bonds throughout lifetimes. Camp is filled with them. And legitimately, it can be kind of a blessing and a hardship to have some of your best friends in the world be spread all over the globe. Maddie and I were talking last night and we said the same. 
thing just really? at the end being like yeah we were just like it would be so great mm. if we were neighbors yeah <laughs> uh so but we yeah, i feel like we say that all the time it just would be because you know you go through camp with someone and you like experience so much life and then life apart and you learn how to be long distance but we've never like lived in the same state or like the same kind of well we've been on the same coast before but now we live on separate coasts so yeah now were you guys when you were at camp were you you were with each other like since wapiti since whitetail whitetail yeah so 2003 so she's been my best friend for like 20 years that's amazing (laughs) yes so Uh, good you know when i because i'm sort of new here still i had the ldps up at our house like the first year and I don't think I totally understood even then. I do a little bit more now. And I was talking to these girls and I'm like, how long have you guys known each other? And they're like nine years. And I was like, wait, how? You know, they said every <laughs> month, you know, they've been mm-hmm. together. And it's interesting because you wouldn't think of like a friendship being that way. But it's like, this is my home. Like I kind of, for once, for one month out of the year, I get to spend it with my favorite people. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure you can relate. Yeah. You know? Amy kind of shared this sweet anecdote about Paul and Maddie. I imagine most of their friends and families know this story, but we wanted to share it with the camp community. And it sounds like Maddie might be one of those people who just gets what they want in life. So beware. So we were together like every year at camp and then also through LDP and then we're also on staff together. So um, I think it was our third year on staff together and she was coming in just at the end. Um, for like the last two or three weeks to cover for people. And we were talking on a period off, like I was, I, she was on the phone and I was like, okay, well, I can't wait till you're here. Like everyone's excited. And she was like, great. Well, um, just tell Paul Bogey that I want to marry him. So bye. (laughs) So she like knew that she liked him. I was like, great. I'll let him know. Wait, they weren't dating yet. No, they weren't. No, it was like a summer that we were working together. She was, she came in at the end and that's where, like when they got together um, and started dating. So she like knew she had her sights set. And um, (laughs) that was like, I will never forget that because now they're married. Um, We got married three months, sorry, three weeks apart. Um, So (laughs) we kind of like experienced a lot of life together growing up. You're now in this really interesting spot where you're doing something that most people either don't have the guts to do. I don't know. Is there anything about like your family or camp or just anything that's kind of shaped where you are right now in that sense? I had this thought yesterday. Um, So we've since hired seven people on our team. So it's a team of nine, um, which is crazy, including actually a, a one camp alum and James Hunt. But I was just kind of reflecting because a bunch of our team all went to a trade show two weeks ago and someone came up after meeting a lot of the team. It was like, where did you find this kind of ragtag bunch? Um, And obviously ragtag is sometimes used as a pejorative and people are saying it negatively. I've thought with just our internal team at Ourobora, like, oh, this is like a bunch of good natured, go with the flow, like excited, optimistic people. And then I thought, I just hired a bunch of camp counselors and like, didn't know it. You know, there were a lot of, some of those positions were very competitive. We interviewed 25 people. And at the end I was like, oh, this could easily be the staff of Brookwoods. No question about it. Just attitude wise. So 
Yeah. Whether that's for better or for worse, that's that's who we hire. Yeah, I think to echo that, and just in our personal lives, we have such an unfortunately high standard for friends. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard heard before, but it's like it's honestly agonizing. Right. At this point, it's like uh, so many of honestly the best people I think there are on the planet. We know them, and they live a thousand miles away. Um, and so now as we are like in a newish city, two years in San Francisco, uh, we just have such a high bar for, for our friendships mm-hmm. and for the intimacy in those friendships and, and what it feels like is, is okay to talk about that. I have a very, very small group of friends that I've made since leaving camp that I felt like met, met the challenge. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think John probably said this earlier of just your, whether it's that you're tired at camp or that intentional conversations are happening everywhere. So maybe it just happens easier. But certainly for me, it feels like the two reasons camp friends became camp best friends were, yes, uh, whether the things that made you tired, like you went through a shared experience, whether it was a trip on the Allagash or a long hike that went astray or just a, a lot of weeks of cabin cleanup. And intentional conversations happened during those experiences, which at camp feels, you know, you take it so for granted. I wish I could go back and take out any complaint I gave from eight to 16 because now like I would buy that experience now. You know, I like I pay for having some small simulation of that Mm -hmm. in my adult life of can I get two friends from work to go on a hike with me for a weekend? Good luck. Like that's hard to do. Um, Can I get anyone to have an intentional conversation? after getting to know me just for a few months, which I can't be having those conversations with people you met 72 hours earlier, but in the real world, it's like, oh man, I've got to get to know them for three to four years before I can ask them that kind of question. So it's definitely hard to replicate. Yeah, It's not easy. Yeah. yeah. We're going to finish by taking a few more moments and hearing from some of our guests about Paul and Maddie. And then I encourage you to stick around till the end. Paul has actually requested that he be given the floor to uh, set the record straight on a few items. For now, though, we're going to go back to Sarah as she reflects on some of the things that that story in the beginning kind of told her about who Paul and Maddie were. You just you watched him and you're like, this guy genuinely cares about learning people's names and cares about knowing who's around him. You know, it started with, like, when we gave him the challenge, he was like, why don't you guys all memorize your unit? Like, you should know your unit of campers. And you just looked at him and you're like, this is a guy who cares about people, even a large amount of people, that like, they all matter to him. He is super brilliant to be able to hold it all in and get all those connections between kids. And like, who knows what, you know, facts or details about the kids he learned in the process of learning everybody's name. But yeah, I just, I thought this is a smart guy. Mm. He's a smart guy who's also really nice. Like yeah. he's just a really nice guy who cares about people and made an effort to do something that he, like he did it for a pie. He did it for a pie. <laughs> Wildly impressive, an audacious goal that I never would have had, but uh, it was super important. And I think it is important. Um, that uh, that's what I, one of the things I, I love about Paul is he he made that goal, but that goal was for a reason. Um, because when uh, you know a kid's name, um, you're communicating something um, 
more, um, that they matter, that they, that they are important. Um, and that's one of the things that camp does really well is um, show kids that they matter and that they're loved by these counselors and these staff members. Um, and when they really believe that, they believe that they're loved by these older people, it's so much easier for them to believe that there's a God that created the universe that loves them just in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and knowing a kid's name, that just like for a for an eight-year-old mooser, uh, while this college kid knows their name, like that's an amazing thing to have. Um, and it, it gave those kids a lot of dignity, which was super impressive. Uh, you know, it's funny. I I have only met them a couple of times and I really like them. And uh, I like being around people that are up for it. You know, like it's just mm-hmm. like people that are yep. like, yeah, no, I'm in, you know, and obviously not to an extent where they're going to do something foolish, but just in a general, like challenge accepted. <laughs> you know, I like yep. that. Yeah. I actually know Maddie much better. I was Maddie's LDP2 counselor and she slept in the bunk bed, bottom bunk next to my counselor bunk. And she was just like always peek her little head. Like we'd be getting her ready for bed and she's just like, she'd peek her little head and be like, hi. <laughs> she's just like, she's... She's a total middle child. She's like smiley, goes goes around, you know, she's up for every, anything. They're just a really good match. I think Maddie's like spunk and boldness um, and kind of like vision and love for life, like pull me out of my shell if I'm feeling like shy or if I'm feeling um, like I want to hang back, like she brings me along with her. So she has so much like zeal. Um, and zest for life that really comes to the forefront in our friendship. It makes sense. In that sense, <laughs> it feels like her and Paul are probably good for that, right? They seem to both carry that a little yes. bit. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Seth, as we close this out, I do want to remind people at the beginning, we had talked about this not being like a fan fest. And we've taken time to talk about Paul and Maddie, but it's more than just a, aren't they awesome? you know, episode. They are. Sure. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. It's uh we hope what comes through on this series as we do it is um like what you heard from Paul and Maddie towards the end there. The things that God has done either through camp or in their lives that they what brings them back to camp, um, that camp connection or just the way that God has used or is using camp to shape their lives. Yeah. You know, Maddie talked about that, those conversations she has with her parents where she says the most impactful thing um, or one of the most impactful things has been her going to Deer Run. And then Paul and Maddie both talk about how hard it is to make friends that rival the friends that they made here at camp. I think there's a lot of people listening that can probably appreciate that. And I think that's one of those things that just kind of goes with you long after you've left here, you know, especially in their case. They've got such a network of camp people. I think it's awesome. It reminded me of, um, let people in a little bit on this, but about a year ago, there was a gentleman who, uh, around this time or a little bit later in the calendar year, had had all of his family back under one roof. All his kids are grown now. And he, at the Christmas dinner table, asked them all to go around and talk about a moment in their lives that was probably the most, a very impactful moment in their spiritual walk. And I believe he has three daughters and all three daughters said, dear run. And I think he was moved, you know, and so much so that he, had kind of let the, the camp office know that that had happened and it was kind of a unique thing, but maybe it's not that unique. Hearing Maddie say that and then having this story uh, just makes me think uh, camps is, is impactful certainly in the moment, but then also the relationships that you carry with you for 
potentially a lifetime. Yeah, I would guess, right? We won't know this, but I would guess that kind of reflection happens, I would hope, around Christmas tables or New Year's parties, campfires this time of year. I would think that that's a normal part of reflection, but maybe it's a challenge to us, to you, me, and maybe people listening as well, that this is a good time of year to ask those questions and how, what is an impactful moment um, in our faith journey? Um, whether camp was a part of that or not. Yeah. Um, and what is what are the things that are still shaping us uh, that the Lord brought through our life or our path uh, along the way? Hey, we're coming up on a year here soon. Um, it's been fun. It has been. We'll just say this to our listeners. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And as Seth said, we just, uh, let's all take a moment and reflect. Think about what the Lord has done. So long. See you next year. The Three Camps Podcast has been produced by Seth Coates and myself. We'd like to thank you for coming along on this, our 13th episode. You know, as inspiration for editing this pod, I've been staring at an unopened can of ginger Meyer lemon sparkling water from Ourobora. I think it's time I took my first sip. <coughs> it's delicious. Just kidding. It actually is. Hey, thanks for coming along with us this year. Feel free to hit us up on the voicemail, 978-308-2679. A big thank you to Paul and Maddie, Amy Anstat, Mark Kuhn, and Sarah Cohen. Thanks to all of our listeners who have listened to us throughout this year. Before I bring in Paul, I'll just say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. So long. Yeah. Okay, one thing. If you're going to have Sarah Cohen on, yeah. I, I need to defend myself in this story because... You're the hero. There's a misunderstanding. <laughs> so this story gets told to me a lot, which it was an amazing time at camp, counting people's names, saying them after, I don't know, 72 hours. However, the point of it was Sarah had been making these pies. So my one bone to pick with this story was, yes, fortunately it happened. We named the names. How exciting. Except I had made like a pretty clear provision with Sarah that this pie was to given to was to be given to me in private so that I wouldn't feel the peer pressure of having to share it. Yeah. Because as I said at the beginning of this podcast, I'm a germ freak and I'm just naturally selfish <laughs> and I love food. So <clears throat> I say all the yeah, names. Pay attention, everyone. This is how you're grieved. Okay, everyone, this is right. Right, take notes. And then Sarah comes out with this amazing pie so publicly right after. And I think I got like one slice of it and then I shared the rest of it with everyone. And Sarah was kind of thinking like, oh, that's so great. Like, Paul, you're sharing. And I'm kind of thinking, I'm sharing, but in my mind, I don't want to give away any of this. <laughs> I wish I was just in the freezer right now in the kitchen, just eating this alone. So that's my one bone to pick with the story. Okay. Thank you for your honesty. Appreciate of course. that. Yeah. It sounds like the circumstances made you share. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's it's nice to know that the real truth has come to light in this story. A hard truth, really. Good. And uh, it, you know. it is. Mm -hmm. It is. All right. Guys, awesome. thanks so much.